Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm James from New Zealand, and you're listening to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything. My question is, which had the biggest impact on humanity, alcohol or caffeine? Okay, here comes the show, and remember, question everything. Hello everybody, welcome to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast where myself, comedian, writer and occasional actor Dame Baptiste, my producer friend Howard Cohen, aka The Hizzer. Hello! And a mix of very special guests pose the questions that need to be asked, and we are talking everything from... We are talking everything from James from New Zealand's question, which had the biggest impact on humanity, alcohol or caffeine? Dane, where would you stand? I mean, poor tough one it's a tough one but it's a good question um i would normally veer towards alcohol because alcohol kind of is uh you know been around since prehistoric human beings because obviously fermentation fermentation of fruits so it's going to produce alcohol but the reason i would say caffeine is because caffeine is one of the acceptable um vices even within the islamic world so while they may have to abstain from um, alcohol and tobacco, caffeine and sugar are vices that can still be enjoyed in parts of the world where other vices are very heavily repressed. And because you can get an Irish coffee, you can add caffeine. Next people think you can actually add alcohol to coffee and then it kind of balances it out, which obviously isn't necessarily interesting, true. Interesting. But. I mean, I'm going to go for alcohol just because I don't think um, arrest numbers would be as, as high on the basis of caffeine. But um, I think I see your point uh, for sure. Uh, but I think uh, it's maybe yeah no it's it's a, it's a tough one but only because kids can have caffeine and people look the other way and also yep. on the subject of caffeine if you have a coffee shop uh, and your business model involves caffeine and you only have one toilet for your customers you are a monster <laughs> well say that. I hope that uh, worked out for you uh, James and uh, suffice to say on this podcast we ask and answer all the questions don't we Dave absolutely no question is too jittery or no question is too drunk so uh, if you like the show please rate and review it on apple Podcasts, or follow us on spotify and you'll never miss an episode or subscribe to us on acast the world's largest podcast network where you can hear all of our very special questions being answered by all of our very special guests with that being said on today's show is a content creator film critic artist and comedian and host she is featured on BBC Horizon, BBC Breakfast, MTV and Cosmopolitan magazine. She fronts her own YouTube channel where she has interviewed movie stars such as Tom Cruise, Chris Pratt and Will Smith. Suffice to say, she knows her movies and her films. And most importantly, in my case, she knows her comedy. Please welcome to the podcast, Sarah O'Connell. Yo. Thank you for that beautiful introduction, Dane. And indeed, Howard, how are you both today? Yeah, not, Good, not too you. bad. Not too bad. Um... Uh, was that was that the correct introduction? Do you think that we cover? Yeah, the only thing I would add to that is that so yes, I have interviewed Tom Cruise, but I've also interviewed Dane Baptiste. Okay, yeah, Howard. Ah, uh, sorry, thank you, Sarah. Yeah, sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, completely <laughs> flew over your head, Howard, which is a shame because way before the genesis of Dane Baptiste questions everything featuring 
the Hizza, Howard Cohen. Sarah had already anticipated uh, my career trajectory and did it interview with me. How long ago was it, Sarah? It was four years and nine days ago. Yeah, that's specific. That's very specific. Slightly, slightly worryingly specific. I got a Facebook memory alert. Right, okay. There you that, go, see? okay that explains Organize, it. Organize. Dissect four years and nine years. <laughs> I, remember, I remember it very well. Um, well... At least one of them. You seem to be doing well. My hair's not been doing as well since, but <laughs> I feel like my comedy's gone okay. How have you been, Sarah? How's it been going? Yeah, really good, thanks. I've been mostly keeping busy with my show. This year's been the biggest year, I think, for me. I've had some amazing guests on and loads of actors and directors. I've had uh, an Academy Award-winning director. I've interviewed a gold medalist and people that have topped the charts and broken Guinness World Records and written New York best... New York Times bestselling novels as well, so it's going wow. pretty well, thank you. Yeah, it's good wow. to hear. Do you when when um, you consider um, your achievements? Uh, I guess over the short to medium term, do you and people ask like, "How are you doing, Sarah? How you been?" Do you take into account the pandemic when you think about it, or do you uh, it's like, "Oh, uh, you try and like," is there like going to be when people think about timelines? Is it going to be like BP before pandemic or AP after pandemic? Do you do you consider mm. those things? Well, you know. So the pandemic for me, it's just been an excuse really just to work my show more and mm. more people have actually been available because, you know, if they were filming, it might have been cancelled or if they've travelled to Canada, they might be in quarantine for a fortnight. So I've just been making the most of an awful situation to try and entertain and educate people as best I can, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and people keep coming to the to watch the show, which is is what you want, obviously. I know um, both of you, thank you very much for keep turning up to watch my show. I really appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> Hoping to add a third watcher soon. It's, um, <laughs> it's probably time for a question, isn't it, Dane, as the format of this show tends to dictate. Absolutely. Sarah, as our very esteemed guest and a very learned host yourself, we'd like to invite you to ask the first question, which we'd like to discuss for about 15 minutes of some change. And then Howard here would like to pose a question to you, which we'd all like to discuss for a similar amount of time. And then finally, I think uh, based on those two questions, I'd like to ask you a question as well, um, which I'd like to get some insight into your being and your thoughts and perspective. And then once we're done there, we'd like to continue to corral and direct people towards all of your good works. Sound like a plan? Sounds like fun and... I'm all for being inquisitive and answering questions and all that kind of thing. So this is a podcast for me to do that very thing. Absolutely. Oh, great, yeah. Yeah. So, so, please, so the floor is yours. Thank you very much. I, I'll take it home with me. I think it'll look amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so my question to you is, you can only bring three movies with you to a really weird desert island that also happens for some reason to have a cinema. Which three movies are you bringing with you and why? Great question. It's it's Desert Island DVDs, uh, <laughs> uh, which well, we, we, Desert Desert Island Drive-ins because there's actually a cinema there, so you can. So yeah. that's part. I, I that's part of the question, right? Is that because you can have the full cinematic experience on mm-hmm. Desert Island? They have to get. Yeah, it's got it's got out. air conditioning. There's snacks. Oh, so specific. So it's like a desert, so it's desert island cinema, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's pretty good. I, really I, good. I, I want uh, It's interesting because. The the fact that it's a cinema experience, like you say, Dane, changes everything, right? Because Definitely. watching it on a TV, uh, even if you've got a good TV, which most people tend to have now, is that generalisation to suggest That's compared to what we grew up with, right, guys? Like TV. I, I, I think even 
the lowest entry point for a TV would be considerably better than the one I had in the 1980s, which Absolutely. was about the width of a wardrobe. Yeah. It had four channels and three of them had horse racing on them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember when I had to get rid of a TV a little while ago, I nearly did my hernia trying to move the thing. Like, it was just ridiculous. But um, but those days are gone. And the screen... Yeah. yeah. For your average, yeah, your average uh, uh, breadth of a TV screen now, in the 90s or 80s, would have required an entire man, a whole like <laughs> van of men to move it, whereas one man can move a very widescreen TV nowadays. So, But that means but the, but aesthetic of the film, you have to take into account like aspect ratio and there's a lot more now that you can consider when you think about a film. Not can I a, ask more questions about this island that I'm on, Sarah? Yeah. Um, am I on my own? Yes. Right, because that's kind of, you know, like going to make a difference really. So like Requiem for a Dream is kind of out the door really, isn't it? Or stuff like, you know, things like, things that are slightly depressing might not want me to... I don't know. I feel like I'm going to need to be upbeat in this desert island mm. cinema. Do you agree, Dane, or would you would you go? I mean, I guess it depends on your reasons for being on on the island. So let's say the island is just a retreat because you're like, I can never watch films in peace. Then yeah. the function of it may change significantly. Or alternatively, like it depends. It depends how you process your grief. Is is being on a desert island a bad thing for you, Howard? Maybe, but for someone else, like you could be a fugitive, and in that case, you're like, oh, this is nice. Yeah, I think I've I think I've got my films. By the way, uh, it's not actually that hard for me because I'm, uh, I'm I'm as Day knows I'm I'm obsessive about what I like. So I think if I've do you know what I mean if I've if I I've watched them so many times, I'm probably it's probably just a sign that those are the films, right? Um, so I'm going to go, and you can condemn me if you like, Sarah, because you know would you, would you be considered a film critic, a critical film expert? I think you would in in, in general terms, no. Yeah, I've reviewed films. I think that counts. Yeah, that's that's what I mean. So you can you could hate the films that I'm about to say, and that could be quite entertaining as well. Um, but let's see. It's going to turn um, into a race. Yeah, <laughs> it, it could is, do. Yeah. It could do. So, so I think this goes really I, bad, Howard. I'm I'm calling an airstrike on this island. So. <laughs> I think for me, weirdly, and I, I was talking to my wife about this a little while ago. I I, I do feel that crime films seem to have huge repeatability for me. Um, I, I feel like I can watch a lot of the because of the the kind of detail of the narrative is often so kind of textured that you could watch it again feeling different and and, and get more out of it. Um, so um, for that reason, you know, Usual Suspects for me, I could probably watch every year at least once a year. I don't know how long I'm on this desert island for, but if I'm there for Definitely. a year. Yeah, I could, I could just think, I, I did, and I just, we've talked about Usual Suspects, but I haven't watched it actually for a long time. But, but this, you know, when you look at the actors in it, I know, do we, do, it actually, now I've said Usual Suspects, I feel like I should have mentioned Kevin Spacey early, <laughs> earlier. And, and the fact that I feel that you, you, you can keep watching films with these people in it. It feels very different to music to me or other things, but... Howard, it's your island. We're not here to judge you, only to observe. <laughs> I realise as soon as you say you suspect, people will be like, oh, you're going to watch a Kevin Spacey film? And I'd be like, well, well yeah, because it, it's not Kevin... It's, it's, there's, a, there's a character in this called Verbal Kin who's not Kevin Spacey. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I don't feel the same association to the crimes of the artist with acting, personally. If I, I, I can get over that easier. Um, and, the, and the cast is, I think, amazing for Usual Suspects. So uh, that would definitely be my first pick. I'd probably then pick Donnie Brasco, which I could watch again and again and again and again and again, and I have done. And I actually bought it on Apple, whatever it is. Um, do, you know, I, do you know the true story of Donnie Brasco, Howard? 
Uh, no, go on. No, I probably don't actually. No, go on. Oh, I'm surprised. I've never told you this before. So, so you know, plot spoilers ahead. By the way, if anyone who hasn't seen Donnie Brasco, you yeah, you've had 20 years to be fair. Well, there's Howard just giving you his verdict on that. You had your chance <laughs> anyway. So, um, and obviously towards the end of the film, when um, Al Pacino playing Lefty mm. Ruggiero is putting his jewelry in a safe yeah. and driving to go meet Sonny Black, obviously the inference is that he's driving to his death because he was collaborating with. Um, Donnie Brasco, who's actually Joe Pistone, uh, an informant for the FBI. And what actually happened in real life is that on his way to the meeting, he was stopped by the FBI and arrested and was encouraged to turn state's evidence or flip if he was to incriminate Sonny Black. And he actually refused and basically did his time because he stayed true to the vow of Omerta. Wow. And in fact, in the uh, real story with the uh, family, um, Donnie Brasco was close to Sonny Black there wasn't really a close relationship between him and Lefty Ruggiero. There you go. So, so I mean, um, that whole film is based on the relationship between Al Pacino and you, you know that film, Sarah. Yeah, of course, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a really overlooked film. Uh, and, and, you think and, so? That's that's another all-star cast, especially like... With, I don't think I people don't... talk about it when they talk gangster films now, right? Like, you get a lot of... Because the know... guy's a fucking rat, Howard. What are you doing <laughs> <all> here? <laughs> that's a fucking um, rat. So that's, that's, that's two. So I've gone Usual Suspects, Brasco. And then because I think it just offers like, it's basically like three films in one film. I'd happily take Avengers Endgame because um, I get about three and a half hours of entertainment. Good choice, uh, Howard. The first, the first period before the blip. You get all, it's just, it's just got, I, I, I just genuinely found it really a wonderful uh, long form entertainment. So those are my three. Um, Sarah, where do you stand on it? You pose the question. So I thought about this myself and the thing I considered was I don't know how long I'm on this island and so I want movies that are going to uplift me and, you know, raise my spirits, keep me motivated and inspired and all that kind of thing. So while I first considered Oscar winning films and stuff like that, I then thought what films are just going to be escapism for me. Right. <clears throat> and so the, the first one I thought of was The Wedding Singer. It's a comedy. It's a romantic comedy. A lot of fun. Also, even though it's filmed in the 90s, it's set in the 80s. I'm from the 80s. It's got all that music in there as well. So it ticks tons of boxes for me. It's just a fun, lighthearted film. So The Wedding Singer is going in at number one. Number two, I then considered The Shawshank Redemption. But then I thought... Because, you know, it's inspirational. The person's trying to leave the situation they're in. But then I thought a, a prison would be quite repressive if you're on an island by yourself. So that's no good. But then I considered the movie The Martian, starring Matt Damon. Oh, He's stuck love on that Mars. Film. Sci-fi, it's action, it's comedy. He sciences the shit out of it. Yeah. There's a lot of praise for potatoes, which I'm particularly a fan of. So, that, so that's <laughs> yeah. great. So the, the Martian would be my second pick. And then if I'm on the island for any massive amount of time I'm going to be thinking about Christmas I'm going to be celebrating it with a coconut and I thought maybe mm. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation is the movie for me <laughs> choice, really I thought you were going to go home alone but you went you went far niche um, yeah. which is which is impressive thank you but I think I think I think National Lampoon is, is a good choice I think it's one of those songs you can go back and find different jokes on it all the time and more subtle stuff and yeah for 80s babies I think it's a great great choice of film back in the Chevy Chase heyday right uh, when he was yeah, way before community yeah yeah <laughs> but the um, I think you made a good decision not to take Shawshank I think it is it, you know it's a tough people often forget about how bleak Shawshank is I think because they yeah, kind of really get up, quite uplifted by the ending right mm. Um, and yeah, if you take into the expense of the whole narrative, it's uh, 
it's it can be more of a redemption rather than like uplifting. But you know that can be uplifting in itself. But like like you said, Sarah, it's really considering the length of time you might be on the island and how much you'll you'll require to, uh, uplifting. So. Yeah, it's like how many times can you watch him in solitary confinement? But that no, that was a good. One. And the first one, just again, was um, was Wedding Singer, which is up. You know, Adam Sandler, right? That's fun. Yeah, classic Adam Sandler, Drew Barrymore, great cast. Yeah, really you know, nice. good hit rate of Jake's in there. It's just, it's just a fun movie. I love watching it. Yeah, yeah. it's that it's that one when you know you're on the island for a while and no one's responded to the flares. <laughs> like maybe the coconuts have run out. You're like, oh, and you've had this is a bad day. You've maybe got a splinter. Mm. So you just said, you know what? Just... Where where do you stand on this, Dane? Have you got three in mind? I imagine you have. Um, well, no, well, I think I may have two, but I think you guys have made some really good choices that have helped me to think about mine because mm. taking into account like the length of time I'm going to be on the island, but also mm. taking into account, um, I said, remember, there's a there's a cinema on this island. So there is, yeah. So. While guys, there is the there is the possibility of becoming a bit grief stricken and depressed at your situation, it is quite a precarious one. There's also popcorn on deck, nachos, hot dogs, yeah. fruit blasts. It's all there. So yeah. you know, I mean, it's this this like I said, the, the islands. It's it's dimensions. It's 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 physics. Who knows? But that works for me. So with that being said, Howard, I'm going to go for um, what's going to go for Avengers Endgame. Yeah, you get value for money, right? Three and a half yeah. hours of value for money. Yeah, exactly. I mean, for me, it's like you know, it's the culmination. Time travel. Can you got... expect? Yeah, it's a true. It's a true epic and anthology. And I think, given that we can have a big old four K cinema, I won't go for the four DX theater though. Mm. I don't know why anybody made that. Up. I'm going to be immersed into a film. I don't want to have to be forced in acting it for free. Yeah. So um, <laughs> uh, the other so the other film is it's it's a tough one because. Uh, you mentioned National Lampoon, which I think is a really good choice. And, mm-hmm. and it, it started making me think there's loads of films with like comedy ensemble casts, but it's picking the right one, which is going to like lend to everyone being in it. And so for me, it's a toss up between Coming to America. Yeah, that's a very and, good pick if you do go to that. And maybe This is the End. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because, because I like I like Apatow films. I like the cast that are normally interchanged. That I, I like this is the end because it probably would help me to rationalize the situation that I'm in, or be you know, or maybe hello, yeah, maybe like it could be a lot worse. It could be the end of days, and um, yeah, again, it's just a nice ensemble cast of lo- a lot of good comedians. So, mm. Mm. that's a good pick, though. That's a really, I think, I think you, you know. You, you, you could you could do a lot worse than have funny films with you. I think. In this yeah, scenario. I, th- I think you need them. So I think I think I'm going to go for this is the end, and then I'm going to go for coming to America as well because it's my 80s and Christmas film at the same time. Very nice. well done. Yeah. yeah, and again, really and a great, a really nice cast and stuff as well. So I think to get mm. that right balance of like you know feel good cinematography and upliftment, being uplifted, and also um, star power and nostalgia. You know, because I'm considering, you know, the popcorn for all of these things as well. Because I think in this instance, the cinema I would use as my escapism from my predicament. So I'd, I'd want films where it's almost like I, I, I feel like I would be, enjoy being a part of that cast. Hmm. There's a lot of other good films where it's like, I love Donnie Brasco as a film as well, but I don't, I'm not going to be in the Donnie Brasco cast. Whereas, you know, you, I can very you, easily slot in as a, as a, as a Wakandan soldier. I can very easily <laughs> as a loyal um, subject of Zamunda. Um it's a, be like a, the thing a about the coming to America, I, I watched it a little while ago. Coming to America. I don't know, when was the last time you saw it, Sarah? Uh, 
so I also saw the sequel recently. So I revisited right. the original, of course, which I prefer. And it's an all-time classic, isn't it? Yeah, it really it is. is. The thing I couldn't believe about it, watching it again, is the mm. scale of it. It's a massive film. Like the budget must have been absolutely kind of, I don't know, it, was just, it just seemed an enormous film. And, and, and you kind of, I don't know, it's really, it's a really interesting watch because you just realise at that point, Eddie Murphy is beyond anything in terms of size of a um, star. I think you may, we may have seen since or in, or, uh, you know, I don't think Hollywood's ever seen a star that big, really. At the time, yeah, he was off the back of... Uh... I don't know if anyone's done it. Any... Again, think about it like this, Dane. You know, he's he's basically in charge of that film. He's got, like, a, mm. multiple credits. He plays five different characters. Yeah. He's a, he's a romantic he's a romantic comedy at its heart, right? Yeah. Which is, you know, and, you know, it's it's kind of a plot that, if we're honest, is a bit fucking mad. Like, it's like not many people could pull off that kind of plot, right? Like, you have to be a very good, loved performer, and he even references his old film in it with Trading Places, right? Do you remember that moment where he... he... It's one of the first examples of a cinematic universe. Yeah. And still one of the best. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> done, done in a very subtle way when you think about it, because, I mean, the only person I've, I'd say now who does that is Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> like, he's been able to be like the... I mean, I wouldn't say necessarily through his delivery of performance, he chose scenery, but like this is presence and aesthetic of films with uh, Dwayne Johnson to mm. create his own cinematic universe, which is like a feel-good thing as well. But like, yeah, coming to America, I think how that was done is just amazing. And like I said, Howard, there's it's it, it's very rare that you get that kind of lightning in the bottle whereby like, you know, Eddie Murphy was off the back of doing like 48 Hours and Beverly Hills mm. Cop plus and Trading Places, as we saw, which is an amazing film. And... When you think about like the even the relevance of like you know trading places today in terms of like you know financial corruption and uh, like so coming to America as well like the the fact that there was a remake made over the course of the pandemic is testament to how significant it was as a film and yeah. it does seem very high budget but I think it definitely uh, made its money back several times over and it was a debut film for Samuel L Jackson yeah like one of the highest most successful highest paid successful actors in Hollywood started in coming to America so I'll always remember I always remember the VHS version of coming to America I recorded off the television and that Samuel Jackson scene if people don't know it is him robbing the McDowell's um, fast food restaurant and uh, on my version it would have been uh, uh, it obviously had been before 9pm when it had been put out or whatever so it was uh, instead of saying uh, fuck you he said forget you I remember, uh, I I've got that version I've got, I got that radio edit as well <laughs> man forget you freeze you disease rhinoceros pizzle <laughs> what a great film Arsenio Hall as well who was the king of um, of um, of primetime talk shows people didn't, yeah. don't realise as well um, who else was in that film um, well there, you've got uh, Eddie Murphy's Dad uh, character, which is played yeah, by James L. Jones, James, yeah. James James L. Jones, Jones yeah. Um, who and then and Madge, Madge Sinclair played um, Eddie Murphy's mother, Aeolian, and those two both played the mum and dad, Mufasa, and uh, he played Mufasa, and uh, Madge Sinclair played um, Simba's mother in The Lion King as well. Yeah. You've also got um, John John Amos as well. Yeah, also John Amos as well. Yeah, yeah. So and, it's, uh, uh, it, it's quite Louis, Louis Louis Anderson was in it as well. Yeah, there's also a very hilarious um, 
cameo from Cuba Gooding Jr., who's getting his hair cut, uh, oh, yeah. uh, which is quite a weird... You know, when you see those moments, you're like, oh, nobody cared about this guy at that time, I guess. Um, he's just getting his hair cut. Just, in just getting, yeah, just getting in the game. Let's, yeah. let's also not leave out... Yeah, Eric LaSalle, who, pl- Eric LaSalle, who plays Daryl with a soul glow, was also the doctor in ER. That's it, yeah, yeah. He, 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 did, he didn't really... Yeah, he didn't. He didn't have a huge career, but he's famous for a few things, right? Yeah, but um, it took me a while to like him because he was Daryl in Coming to America. But obviously, when he became a doctor in ER, I was like, no, he's a cool guy. He's cool. Well, it was a really good question. That question, uh, Sarah, Great really question. enjoyed that one. And, Thank you very um, much. I'd expect nothing less than a, a, a movie geek uh, to and bring I, us I, such and a question. And I would expect all beach resorts to follow Sarah's cue and have an outdoor um, open-air cinema, like an amphitheatre. Correct. I think Correct. if you've got any kind of beach resort, why would anybody not want to watch a film while watching waves crash at the same time? Beautiful. Um, it, there's a different. There's a problem. There's a problem with the sun at times. But other than that, uh, uh, it, I'm not going to bemoan. I'm not going to ruin your idea, Dave. There's much bigger problems with the sun, Howard. Great. <laughs> um, so I, I could I couldn't have um, I couldn't have Sarah on the show and not talk cinema. I think and mo- you know and movies. Um, I, I've got nephews and nieces who I occasionally bring up who are all kind of around the age of kind of twelve to eighteen. Sarah, mm. uh, you wouldn't know that. But Dane knows that. And um, I often hear from them things about how they don't really like watching movies. Okay. They say like, oh, yeah, no, it's, it just takes a bit. It's too long, isn't it? And it's just like it's a bit kind of like slow and like, and you kind of think, oh, right. So that's like to do with your attention span, isn't it? Because generations, mm. more and more generations are becoming unable to kind of, to, so like, for example, The Matrix, which I, I talked to a couple of nephews, I said, you've got to watch this film. Like, it's one of the great films of my era. And they they couldn't make it to the point where he actually goes into The Matrix. Right. Because they, it's just so slow. <laughs> it's so slow. And you're like, well, this is, fuck, this is fucking ridiculous, right? But then, but then on top of that, so that's like one problem you got there, right? Which is like attention spans are down. On the second mm. side of it, you've got this whole thing of the pandemic knocking the cinema down and going, like, basically... Hey, we made this film. Oh, we just put it on Disney Plus because you don't really need to go to the cinema, do you? You can just watch it at home. So the question, the question is: Has cinema really got a future, Uh, or is it about to become the vinyl of the visual medium? I think cinema will always have a future, but I also think that there's just more ways of enjoying it. Say, twenty, thirty years ago. 
people's TVs weren't in widescreen, they weren't in high definition, you didn't have necessarily access to surround sound or anything like that. Whereas now the the home's film watching experience rivals cinema a lot more. You know, you can pause it, go to the toilet, get whatever snacks you want, it doesn't cost a billion pounds. But then the certain event movies, but you just want to be with a crowd. It's like going to the theatre, right? So if you're speaking about Avengers Endgame, something like that, when you hear all the crowd laughing or cheering, then that's an experience you can't get at home unless you leave your front door open. And <laughs> so I, I think there's always going to be a place for cinema. But I too also, I love the fact that some distribution companies have made their films either available day and date when they're at the cinema or soon after. So you have that option if you're not feeling safe about going back to the cinema yet or whatever, then you have that option of paying a premium price to watch that film at home, you know, in comfort and enjoy it that way. And also, you know, streaming platforms such as Netflix and Amazon Prime Video are now rivaling the biggest productions themselves. And I just think we've got more options, more ways to consume media, and you can do it with an audience if you want or at home. And I I think that they complement each other. And, you know, Disney has recently, they released Black Widow in cinemas, but then a couple of days, I think three days later, it was available on Disney Plus, and you could pay, I think it was £20 to watch it at home. But then if you waited three months, you could watch it for free on Disney Plus. And then Shang-Chi, following that was a cinema exclusive so they're getting more confidence back in the cinema i know venom 2 is out very soon and mm. spider-man no way home is going to be cinema exclusive i believe when that's really hearing these November. titles i'm just salivating just hearing it, i'm just like oh, oh, oh. Yes, <laughs> <All right. laughs> you'll be going to watch these in the cinema day and you wouldn't want to just download it or do you do you feel that you're not going to go back no, I'd like I'd like to do both. I'd like to do both. I th- I think the uh, cinema um, as a process uh, obviously is does involve you in taking in a film and watching a film, but there's an entire process as part of the cinematic experience that I think people enjoy. In the same way that like you can cook yourself a gourmet meal if you follow a recipe, uh, you know, at home. But there's something about a dining experience that people seek as well. And there's you know as a social species, there's a certain togetherness and also or the sharing or collective experience, which adds to the appeal of going to the cinema. So I think when you consider what, a, what you define as a cinema, it's just, I guess, like a public way of public viewing of a film. Mm. And that can vary. You know, you could have home cinema if you want. That's That was the whole thing with HBO was that it was using cinematic, create, uh, having cinematic level um, programming and then referring to that as home box office. And I think, um, you know, that's probably, that model has just uh, now repeated on a much larger scale with the introduction of streaming platforms and high definition television and uh, and I guess technology. But at the same time, I think even for a lot of people, there's a reason why people still have home cinemas. I think the fact that people desire TVs that have high definition and uh, have large screens is because they're trying to emulate the cinematic experience at home as much as possible. Um, but I think what normally happens there if people reach the apex is that they will in turn want to have the, I think especially because like I said cinema is it's it's a cultural practice as well so mm. I think people want the idea of like taking their kids to watch films and having that be a family activity as well I think that's probably been one of the biggest parts of the appeal of the Marvel the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the uh, subsequent franchises is the fact that like myself I grew up reading comic books and then seeing the adaptation onto the f- screen is what attracts me but at the same time 
it's an experience that I want to share with maybe like, you know, friends and family and, you know, younger members of the family if they are interested. And um, just coming over to your house to watch it doesn't feel as big an event, right? Hmm. That, that's the no, thing, yeah, isn't it? it or, or a, different, a different event because I think there's, because, you know, I think that these experiences and the aesthetics you set up to watch films can also depend on the type of film it is. So, for example, a film like I watched uh, Three Billboards Outside Missouri, which I think is an amazing film. Oh, the film I watched recently was The Guilty with Jake Gyllenhaal. I just right. watched that. Yeah, I think amazing film, amazing mm. film. But the 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 film main, it's a film that I don't necessarily need to see in the cinema. Not that I wouldn't watch it, but you know, when I look at somebody like Jake Gyllenhaal and his um, filmography, he's very good at making films that are so immersive that like it doesn't necessarily matter where you are watching it. Because I found watching Guilty just as intense an experience watching at home as I found watching Jarhead in the cinema. Yeah. So, you know, I really think it comes down to the uh, the products, really. But I just think I think people will consume products based on what capabilities they have. Because, for example, I like going to the cinema and I like getting popcorn. And I like watching big um, budget programs like uh, Avengers Endgame. But then I went to watch um, the re... I guess the the re, not the remake, but I guess the kind of quasi sequel to um, Suicide Squad. Do you know the Suicide Squad by James? Yeah, Dunn? it's got oh, yeah. it's got some yeah. sequel elements. So kind of sequel yeah. elements to it, yeah, or the, or, the, or the second volume. And uh, I went and watched it in a four DX cinema, and I did not enjoy that. That's a bit too. <laughs> that's a bit too immersive for me. Like I want to go watch the film and watch the culmination of other people's hard work. Um, in a battle, your chair will move and jerk as if it, you're involved in about yourself. They even have like little. Um, like air, air pockets that like five pieces of air like to give you like a bullet whizzing past your, ha- your head. I think some of them may even have like sprays of water. I don't want any of this at the cinema. Like if I'm holding a drink and some popcorn, I don't want to be dodging past bullets and stuff. I don't want to be a part of an airstrike and be in a helicopter and have my, my chair tilt. Like my popcorn was spinning while I'm watching all of this. And I'm like, while I understand, like it's the same thing with like rumble packs on, on control pads. It's like, um, I think there's a... Like, when technology evolves, there's always sometimes there's like a midpoint where we're trying to find best fit. And yeah, that wasn't it necessarily. So 4DX seats are almost like the mini disc of, <laughs> uh, of, of, of cinema amenities because no one really needed that. I think I'd be, I'm just fine with the glasses. The glasses yeah. are fine. Yeah. I don't need to be any more immersed in that. Nice glasses, THX, I'm good to go. But yeah, they, they take it to the next level. And, Do you agree, uh, Sarah? Well, you know, I think if it was really going to take off, people would be sat at home on their tumble dryer watching Coronation Street and they just don't <laughs> yeah. want to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> just throwing drinks in their own face. Yeah, and that's and that's it as well. Like, you're watching reality TV, a drink gets thrown in somebody's face. Now, I'm a real housewife Atlanta, of Atlanta. I don't need that. I don't <laughs> sleep with nobody's husband or wife. Yeah. I mean, I, I think cinema is is really going to decline. I think I think it's going to become a thing that... Younger generations don't really understand why we go. And I think that the rise of like highest grade television that we've witnessed, like, do you remember the episode? I don't know if we all did Game of Thrones, which now feels like a kind of like a a family member who betrayed me. But anyway, (laughs) um, but like the episode where... um, they were gonna the 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 the, um, the the zombies were coming. The White Walkers were coming, and there was a big battle, and we all know what happened, and you know, blah blah blah. But like, if you'd have put that in the cinema that night, I think you would have got a lot of people going to watch it. Particularly as we couldn't fucking watch it at home because the colours, the way they did it, was so 
fucked up. We can, no, nobody could see it. Yeah, but the yeah. Um, but that it was saved a, a lot of money though because they didn't actually. They just filmed a wall and made a load of noise. <laughs> yeah, it was <laughs> it was choppy, wasn't it? It was choppy <laughs> as fuck. But the but it was it was it was a, it was a it was an event moment of television that could have been in the cinema. Would have is my kind of point. And you think well. If people's TVs just keep getting better and better and, you know, our obsession with television just keeps getting bigger and bigger, like you've watched the kind of how the Marvel and Star Wars world has expanded into TV successfully. Yeah. I just can't help but think people are going to look at these things and just go, yeah, it's that thing I normally do at home, but it's just I've got to go out of the house and there's other people there who I don't necessarily want to spend time with. And, you know, it will just bring out all the negatives potentially, I fear, and cinema will just become this this dated idea. But I do wonder too with the the success of things like Disney Plus. So you see them as an extension of the cinema, but what if they are actually just an advert for the? You know, you see Wonder Vision, but mm. then if you want to see Wonder team up with Doctor Strange, you have to go see Doctor Strange too. Mm. So maybe they're just working as extended adverts for the next thing that's coming because you you have to see it on day one because you want to avoid spoilers and the spoiler is always what happens in the last 10 minutes. And the last 10 minutes is always just an advert for what's coming next. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good observation. I think it's, it's, it's tricky, right, Dane? It's like, yeah, no, it's, it's like, it's a like, it's a nice visual pipeline of going from streaming platform to cinema as well. But at the same time, I said that because, you know, the, uh, the, act of going to watch a film is a cultural process. It's just like any cultural process that just boy requires a little bit more refinement. So, you know, if you go, I've been to Dubai where in cinemas, it's an entire experience whereby Gary Rhodes was a consultant for the cinemas menu. So you could have a a la carte meal before the showing. Then there's a cinemas now that provide you with a la carte meals and food while you're watching films. So in New York, I watched, um, uh, Rise of Skywalker, and oh, yeah. I got to I got to do that while enjoying some fish tacos, which was a first for me. Mm. Um, and then I had a um, like a, a steward when I was in Dubai, and I went to watch Mission Impossible, and I had a sleeping bag, and so because of the heavily air conditioned room, despite it being thirty eight degrees outside, so <laughs> I think and it's probably like any experience in the same way. Like I said, it does feel like it could go into decline, but with the introduction of like you know your personal stereo or with iPods, it didn't stop people from going to nightclubs to wanting to dance. And even though you can get like high um, quality ingredients and hawk cuisine you can make at home, people still go to the cinema and I, I'm sorry, to restaurants. And I think, yeah, with cinema, even though it is having cinematic experience nigh on your fingertips, I think that whole idea of people still going out and especially now, Howard, where we're on the cusp of like, you know, holograms and like 3D projection. I think those are, those are immersive experiences people want to enjoy themselves. And I think parents like the idea of taking their kids to eat popcorn when they don't have to clean up after them. <laughs> it's a good answer. And uh, it's a question that will rage on across this post-pandemic period, I believe. And we will we will witness some, some evolution of our cinema habits. But um, thank you for answering it, guys. Uh, and um, Dane, it's, are you going to keep with the movie theme for your question today? Or I you, am, uh, yeah. You, and, and the thing is, I just had a thought about 4DX cinema and the fact that, like, you know, there used to be like a lot of adult film, you know, adult cinemas or porno theatres. Oh, yeah. Like, if they combine 4DX technology <laughs> with porn theatres, then I'm going to stay home, Howard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, also, it's, it comes back to cleanliness again, but I'll leave that one there. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. problem is it'll turn more into SeaWorld, won't it? Like, there'll be a splash zone. <laughs> 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 yeah, uh, the future yeah. is scary, everybody. <laughs> the future is scary. Yeah. Well, Sarah, these have been some great questions and great convo. But as a film critic and a massive film fan, mm. I think it would be remiss of me not to give you the opportunity 
that we all want. And we've now pulled our resources and our competence and made our own studio. So me and Howard are the execs. And, you know, we've heard about your stuff, Sarah. We think you're great. We love you. I'm giving you all the Hollywood spiel now. You're great. You're the future, Sarah. We want your name in lights everywhere. And I've heard rumors that you have an idea for a film of your own. I mean, what kind of film critic or film fan would you be if you hadn't considered your own favourite screenplay? So what I want to do is I want to hear the five-minute pitch. And then, <laughs> you know we love you on this, love you in this studio, Sarah. I'm probably just going to go. I've had a great brunch with Howard. I've had some fun. Met some friends from Colombia. So as soon as I hear this five-minute pitch, I'm probably going to greenlight it, Sarah. And what I'm going to need to know then is your cast and crew. So, <laughs> keeping it smooth and streamlined, I'd like to hear around your five-ish minutes pitch. No pressure, friend. no pressure whatsoever. Oh, no pressure whatsoever. I mean, like I said, you know why there's no pressure? Because whatever you come up with, I'm going to green light as long as I find out cast and crew afterwards. So, the floor is yours for your pitch, Sarah O'Connell. Let's make some movie magic. Okay, so here's my pitch. So, taking into account the biggest films of all time, they are ones that span multiple universes and multiple films and things like that. How about the ultimate? Oh, you know, like when Who Framed Roger Rabbit came out and different studios, Warner Brothers and Disney, all collaborated to get the best of their characters. Nice. What if a team of movie villains have gone through the history of cinema and just changed the endings for everything. And you have to put together a band of not only superheroes, but just, you know, people from different films. There could be a background character from one film that always stood out and like a superhero from another and whoever. And you want to get together this team of people to go through and fix all your favourite movies. So you go into Wizard of Oz and Jaws and E.T. and Back to the Future and Star Wars and the endings of everything have been changed and ruined. You have to go back through and save all your favourite movies using an all-star cast. It's like oh. Indiana Jones dies at the end of, uh, uh, of, of The Last Crusade, right? No, it gets it's melted. Like Jones, no, it's like Indiana Jones becomes a Nazi at the end of, of, last, of, of Temple of Doom. He's yeah. like, do you know what? You make a good point. Seek Kyle indeed. <laughs> Darth Vader pushes that boulder a little bit faster and he gets hit at the beginning. Oh, <laughs> I like this. So, Sarah, I like it already. Now... Um, I mean, it's, a right, it's a rights nightmare, just to say, but uh, we'll, 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 we're going to work that out. We'll work yeah. out. Look, I'm friends with most of them on Twitter. We can sort Good, fine, fine. As long as we can work that out. Fine. Howard, if we can get, if we can, if we can get Spider-Man over to the Cinematic Universe, we can make this happen. And like I said, Who Framed Roger Rabbit was a fucking masterpiece. So I'm loving this so far, Sarah. What are we saying for protagonists? What are you, what are you thinking? How's this going to go down? Who are we going to have? Okay, so we need to have Eddie Murphy in there playing all of his characters, including Norbert. Yeah, that's and key. Samuel L. Jackson, obviously. Yeah, we need yeah. to have Leonardo DiCaprio because everything he's in wins Oscars. Correct. Robert De Niro, Al Pacino. Let's get Julia Roberts in there. I need to have Whippy Goldberg in this film. I love Whippy Goldberg. So track three is coming out. I'm hyped about it. <gasps> Paulie Culkin. <laughs> yeah, it is uh, coming. Out. When's, it, when's it coming out, Sister Act Three? I can't remember. It's, I think it might be a Disney Plus exclusive. But I think they're getting the entire casts together, and I love the first one. I'm back in the habit too, so I'm. Oh genuinely my! It's really oh, amazing. The is Lauren, do you think Lauren Hill's going to be in it? <laughs> I hope so. I really hope so. They have to have everybody from yeah, Sister Act Two. It'll be a happy oh, day God. if she is. Absolutely. That and that that kid was in City High. He got he went on to be in the group City High. So mm. yeah. Oh my god. 
so much to look forward to. Right, I'm loving this so far. No, it's an amazing, it's an amazing concept. So you're basically borrowing from every um, successful cinema kind of yeah. um, franchise and mm-hmm. amalgamating them all into a thing where the bad guys all win. And then, do you, do you? I assume. Tell me if I'm wrong. Part of your motivation here is that you get tired of the good guys always winning. No, it's not. So at, at the beginning, every film needs a good setup, and you, a film is only as good as its baddies. So let's why not take the best baddies of all time? Have Jaws in there, the polystyrene version of Jaws, where you only see one side of him, and all these other great iconic movie characters. You've got Chucky, you've got Pennywise, you've got Freddy Krueger, and just mm. every bad character. All good. So here's the other thing. So when the, you go into each movie setup, the genre of the movie changes. So all of a sudden. And you see Indiana Jones is in a musical. <laughs> then you see Roger Rabbit in a horror movie, and you go through all these different genres. Like there was a film I think called Stay Tuned in like the early nineties genre. I remember it. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Went through, and there was a parody yeah. of Wayne's World and stuff like that. So something like that, but a big budget, high production values, epic. Yeah, I mean, I think it's an I like, amazing I like concept. I like the idea of maybe having some of these protagonists. Maybe they are forced to compete with each other. Uh, maybe maybe we force them to fight over who is the best representation of said actor. So does Austin oh. Powers fight against the Guru? Does like is this is this where we're going? And then they, does he fight against um, Wayne? And then it's like a meta Expendables kind of scenario that you're creating, a meta cinema Expendables thing, which is and uh, it's also got the Expendables in it, who are incidentally filming Expendables four right now. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. Oh, who's 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 going to be the new additions to Expendables four? Who's who's got the only people that I know that are in it are Jason Statham and Sylvester Stallone because they posted a behind the scenes photo the other day. Very good. I I think um, on 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 a side note, the sidebar: if the next Expendables has to have Cynthia Rothrock in it. (laughs) <laughs> oh yes has to has to can I ask um, if you ever saw the film Last Action Hero because it's the closest thing I can think of to some of the elements of the ideas that you're talking about where he, have indeed it's, it's quite a good thing isn't it where he he he, he, he suggests he's going to go and get Freddy Krueger and uh, and all the rest uh, which would and they did something they did something similar in a, a three part episode of South Park called Imagination Land right when they, they had terrorists attacking you and your imagination and they broke down the wall for all of the horrible antagonists and then mm. like so I, I like the idea of this and so the idea is that we're now so our protagonists are trying to repair like almost like timelines for films because obviously films a lot of the time and culture is defined by how films turn out so if films turn out a different way so like let's say for example as extreme as this might sound let's say like at the end of Pretty Woman <laughs> Julia Roberts ends up getting arrested for soliciting. Now she's in a women's prison, like in Orange is the New Black. It's yeah. a very different. It's a very different outcome, isn't it? Turns it really out. is. And you know, I think the protagonists of the movie should just be a row of people in the cinema, and they're using their movie knowledge to gather the best team that they can to fix the situation. Hmm. Nice, like kind of like a Secret Wars. Yeah, seen as well. Does it make you think when you have, have talk about this idea about all those films? that never get made that could have got made like it's, that's I always think a really interesting I don't know how much you've delved into this on your on your show Sarah but it, mm. it is a fascinating thing right behind the scenes of Hollywood and, and and the movie world right where people people try to make a film and it never happens 
And, and even films that were made or pilots of TV shows that were made, they went in a completely different direction. Take Back to the Future, Eric Stoltz was Marty McFly. I think they filmed for a couple of months. Yeah. And, and then they, they reshot that. So there are alternate versions of films that we love that exist. That we well, and, and for me, there's obviously the Justice League one was going to be done by by George Miller at one point. I don't know if you know that. And that was mm. that never went ahead. I always think I'm a big Kubrick fan. And the fact he never got to do Napoleon, which is the film that he spent years and years trying to plan. Yeah, that would have been amazing. And Minority Report. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of it's kind of I mean, funny it, to it, I mean, Minority Report came out very well. And I mean, aesthetically, I think it's one of the best examples of... of but the best depictions of the not-so-distant future I've seen. But um, that being said, I would have been really interested to see how Kubrick would have tackled some of that. That would have been really cool. This yeah. this idea is so. Well, good. there was there was going to be a Kill Bill three at one point, right? Is everyone it still that? is. There still is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's not going to happen, though, is it? He's, yeah. He, he Tarantino is still speaking about it, and I think in the last year had dinner with Uma Thurman. They're still talking about it, but the idea was that the kids would now be adults to continue some of the threads that weren't closed in the last films. Okay. Yeah, you heard this, Howard. So at the beginning, um, Vivica Fox, uh, who's Copperhead, I think, yeah, her yeah. daughter who witnesses her murder, Nikki will grow up and then fight against uh, the bride's daughter. Um, yeah. you, another bit of film trivia there, Howard, which I may have said before, that um, in the scene in Pulp Fiction, mm. when John Travolta, Vincent Vega, is with Uma Thurman's character, and they are in Jack Rabbit Slim's having dinner, yeah. and she's talking about the pilot she filmed called Fox Force 5. Yeah. That is Uma Thurman discussing early ideas for the Deadly Viper Assassination Squad in Kill Bill. <laughs> So that's why wow. she said that the black chick's good with knives and then there's the Asian chick and um, the French chick was Sophie Fatale. Right. But, um, yeah, that was the early inception. That's pretty so, cool, right? I mean, that, that's what kind of makes cinema so interesting is when you do start to think on these levels of kind of looking at it as a whole, what does it really represent and stuff. And uh... Well, Tarantino was also early with the cinematic experience, the Red, yeah. Apple, Red Apple cigarette cinematic experience. Because even The Hateful Eight, I think... Some of the characters in the Hateful Eight are early. Um, they relatives, um, aren't they? Yeah, relatives. Yeah, of um, like I think like uh, Mr. Blonde, right? Yeah. In um, Pulp Fig- in uh, Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. So yeah, so Vince Vega, John Travolta's character, their brothers aren't there. And there, yeah, there yeah. was going to be a spinoff called the the Vega Brothers that was going to come out a few years later, but it didn't happen. I'd, I'd like to see a a. a do you know, what I'd definitely watch. I'd watch a small box set series uh, featuring Nice Guy Eddie. <laughs> I think that would have been really cool, man. Yeah. Um, that's um, that was Eric Roberts' brother, wasn't he? Rest in peace. I forgot his first name now. Who played Nice Guy Eddie? Yeah, no, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, so it was in Rush Hour as well. Um, I know that one film that never got made, which I always thought was a hilarious concept, was Darren Aronofsky uh, of Requiem for a Dream, Black Swan, all of those. Was was at one point going to do a Batman film? You know, if you never know that, and then it, oh, that would have been good. It didn't happen, but you can imagine. <laughs> You can imagine that might have gone quite dark, uh, but um, that's, I mean, that's why it would have been good. Is, yeah. is there, Sarah, I, I, aside from that note again, and I know you know, and you are now in our, in our under oath of this podcast. But yeah, um, sure. Is, is there is there is there a, is there a website or is there a, is there a reference place where you can find all these hidden scripts that were turned down and weren't greenlit or original versions and drafts and. And probably and leave footage. They're probably all locked up in a safe somewhere, Dane, un- un- under the sea. And that's that. Really, is 
would be my idea for a movie is the mm. heist to get a hold of that stuff and then <laughs> like maybe like in a space jam way that, that like aliens steal all of this stuff like all of these doom pilots all of these films that weren't made all these franchises and director's cuts that didn't come out and these have all been stolen and then they get broadcast on an island that, <laughs> so you know the island that we were talking about in the first um, yeah, question oh yeah yeah that's where imagine we... <laughs> that's where they show all these films and stuff like you know like like the Isle of Dr. Moreau and stuff but it's mm. like shows films that never never made to air and like there's an episode of The Simpsons like that as well where yeah. they have like alien autopsies and stuff so that if there's a cinema like that and you could get film studios to like maybe have like a statue of limitations so we're like we made mm. a trailer or a pilot and then you give it like 10 year statue of limitations and then you can release it to the public mm. if it was never meant to be made or like it's so, like screen tests and stuff so do you know the story of Kevin Smith when he was asked to write a Superman movie <gasps> no so, you know, there's that whole time when Nicolas Cage was going to be the next Superman and even yeah. photos leaked of Nicolas Cage in the costume. So, Kevin, I'm going to butcher this story and I really highly recommend you seek out Kevin Smith telling it far better than I'll, I will. I'll find him, but don't worry about but, butchering stories of movies involving Nicolas Cage. That's okay. So, so, Kevin Smith was asked to write a, a film about Superman. Kevin Smith loves comic books, comic book movies. He's, I think, directed episodes of Supergirl and stuff like that since... And so he was asked to write this Superman film and they they had one condition. The, this person just kept going on about, I think a producer or someone kept saying at one point in the film, Superman needs to battle a giant robot spider. And he was like, why? And he's like, it just, it needs to have, I can visualize this and it's going to look amazing. And Kevin Smith was like, that's ridiculous. We can't do that. Anyway, fast forward a few years and the, the producer that was going to work on the Superman film worked on a film called Wild Wild West. I knew that was coming. I knew that was coming. giant no. robot spider in it. Oh, ridiculous. One man's dream of a giant robot spider. Inspirational. On the back of that trivia as well, Wild Wild West starring Will Smith is a film he did instead of The Matrix. <laughs> yeah, it worked out well, that one. <laughs> it turned out... I think visually, though, Wild Wild West looked good with, like, you know, Kenneth Branagh and all, all of the, the, the spider. It looked good, but just had no... Yeah. The, all of these, yeah. these modernised Western things... You know, for me personally, the less said about Back to the Future 3, the better. But not everyone agrees with that sentiment. No, that's not, it's not the one that I watch. It's not it's the one a... that I think, oh, I can't wait to see that again. But, um, uh, I, I you know, go, um, nah, that's enough. We have we have had a entire episode of movie, film and cinema related chatter, haven't we, Dane? Which I think might maybe our guests as the as the winter months draw in have, have enjoyed because they've probably got more time to sit home and watch these movies, haven't they? Absolutely, but I think um, it's been it's it's cool when you look at some of the. Uh, I mean, what Sarah has proven is that for someone who was an early adopter of the idea of Easter eggs, it's very fun to look past the surface of films and what's presented on celluloid and see all of the stuff that goes into it. And I think yeah, it's definitely uh, piqued my uh, interest and curiosity, Howard. So that mm. I'll continue going to the cinema because I like the whole idea of the experience of, of enjoying a film on a surface level at first, and then being able to do all the research into all of the components that make a film. Definitely. So, uh, Definitely. You know, know, sometimes you watch a film and you didn't enjoy it at all, but you might happen to listen to the audio commentary and the story behind it can be better than the film itself. I love finding out stuff like that. And although I still can't quite bring myself to watch anything related to the movie Cats, I don't need any explanation. (laughs) I I think I just need an apology. (laughs) Yeah. We're going to seek that somehow. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, you've been a lovely guest, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the sh- on the show. You're right, Dane. 
Absolutely. It's been a pleasure um, seeing you again, catching up. And um, it's been nice to interview you as well and find out more about your interests. Um, so it's been nice to flip that uh, paradigm. Um, so, Sarah, for other people who are interested, who are similar uh, movie buffs and want to find out more about everything that goes into films and get some more exclusive cinema, cinema, cinematic news, where can our people find you? Okay, so on Twitter, I'm at Sarah O underscore Connell, C-A-N-N-E-L-L. On YouTube, which is my main channel, is the Sarah O'Connell Show. Just So just type that in, search for the Sarah O'Connell Show, and you'll find hundreds of interviews with actors, directors, comedians, such as Dame Baptiste, and musicians, authors, all that good stuff too, fire jugglers, people that break world records for eating too much food and record times. And I'm also on Instagram and uh, Facebook and TikTok at Sarah O'Connell Show. And I've just joined uh, Clubhouse as well. And I go in there and have live chat sometimes too. So check me out there also. Wow. All of the places. All the places. And I used to be on MySpace and AOL and GeoCities and Bebo. I, I wasn't on those, but... Quick, quickly before we go, Sarah, you've been so positive yeah. on this show. Tell us a film you fucking hate. <laughs> oh, God. Um, okay, there's a film called Solaris, which has George <laughs> Clooney, and I swear to you, he sits there for two minutes, drops like a fork or a spoon or something, then says, I've dropped my fork, picks it up, puts it back on the table. Why, why is that film? <laughs> yeah, I've heard of it. I've heard of it. Yeah, we want answers. A headache. We want I'm, answers. What, what about you, Howard? I'm going to quickly say, Man of Steel sucks balls. Um, <laughs> oh, no. Really bad. Really bad. Like watching it again because it's on. It's been put onto all the, the on-demand platforms yeah. again because nobody cares about it anymore. Man, it is not a what. That is not fun. That is not entertaining. <laughs> oh, no. Dane, you got one to leave leave the the, the, the audience with. Yeah, a stinker um, to avoid. Off the top of my head, I really should be recently watched um, Bad Boys for Life. I'm not a fan <laughs> of Michael Bay. Um, I'm not a Michael, bad fan of Michael Bay at all. And to be honest, I think given the social climate in the states, uh, films where police officers get away with displaying brutality are not a good sell, even if it does involve Martin Lawrence and Will Smith. And to be quite honest, why is somebody who drives a Porsche? feel the need to be a police officer in yeah. Miami anyway good good so, spot good spot yeah. yeah thanks Sarah it's been a lot of fun I've, thank you I've very really much I really enjoyed it I love this podcast I've been catching up on all the episodes and highly suggest everyone else does too if they haven't heard all of them yet thank you so much Dane Baptiste of course I love your work I love Bamus and Sunny D you and so all that no, good to see you thank you, for, uh, thank you for coming on and uh, yeah I'm glad that we've been able to catch up again and yeah I make sure I subscribe as well to Sarah Connell show on YouTube and uh, yeah keep up to date with all the movie news because I love this shit and you'll have to come back another time and chat about what you're working on now and next and all your tools and all that other good stuff too would absolutely love to thank you Sarah you've been listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything hosted by Dane Baptiste for more from Dane go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him on Twitter at danebaptweets or Instagram at danesnaptiste our guest was Sarah O'Connell. You can follow Sarah on YouTube. Just search The Sarah O'Connell Show. The show is produced by me, Howard Cohen. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Howard Cohen. The show is mixed and mastered by Audio Culture. You can follow Audio Culture on Instagram at We Are Audio Culture. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. At DBQE Podcast. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, question everything. <laughs>